Um, as Tom mentioned, I'm one of the pastors at Jubilee and uh, got to meet him when he came over from the UK and um, he was also great uh, with my kids. In fact, he was very good at re- reading a book called Iki Piki Boo or something to our daughter when she was a, just a few months old. So um, his reading tastes uh, were always, always very good. Um, yeah, so uh, one of my main responsibilities at Jubilee is to be involved in the area of counseling. Um, and I've done some work with Robert, and it's just been such a joy to take the truths of the Bible and in the context of counseling, try to work out what does it mean to believe this at the very kind of personal level. Um, you know, it's wonderful to have moments of public ministry like this, but counseling is about the personal ministry of the Word. What does it look like for us to believe these truths uh, at the kind of very fine level of detail? And it's a huge privilege to come and talk to you uh, this morning about providence. Uh, this, uh, I love the theme of a big God, um, but it's possible to believe in a big God, but in a way that doesn't really capture uh, the, the character of that God, the goodness of that God, or the love of that God. It's possible to believe in a big God, but a God that fundamentally is, is uncaring, or egotistical, or proud, or, or lacks compassion. Uh, but that's never the picture we get in the Bible of, of who God is. Uh, the picture we get in the Bible of a big God is a God who is big in power, but a God who is also big in love. And the doctrine of providence really takes those things together. It's the God of sovereign power, and it is the God of unfailing love. And those two concepts are crucial when it comes to understanding providence. So in just the, the short time we have together, I just want to think with you briefly about you know, what is providence, Uh, What are some biblical passages that highlight how it works and the different aspects of it? And then we'll think briefly about some, like, applications. So how does that that impact the way we live? So I'll pray quickly, and then we'll, we'll jump right in. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are not just big in power. You are also big in love. And it's remarkable to think that your power and your love work together for the good of your children. Thank you that we are not orphans. We are loved by you, and you care for us, and you will bring us home one day. Amen. So what is providence? I think it should come up. The classic definition that I've, I've found really helpful is from the Heidelberg Catechism. I think it should come up on the screen. Uh, providence is God's almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, He still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come to us not by chance but by his hand. And you can see in that definition that you've got God's power, You've got God governing things, God governing the, the, the universe. But that, that government of things is not just at a macro level, it's at a micro level, hey? All things, all things um, come to us, not by chance, which is often how life can feel, hey? You can just feel like, how, how did I, <laughs> you know, what determined the, 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 the timing and, and the details of my birth? Like, you know, it just feels like there's so much kind of random chaos in the world. And the doctrine of providence reminds us that actually nothing is random. There's nothing by chance. There is a good God who has designed all of this. And it comes to me by his hand. And I love the way that this definition also is kind of like, it's got a bit of poetry in it. Hey, And it's just sometimes worth going through those things, you know, leaf and blade, rain and drought. We had a drought in Cape Town. It was very stressful. But it was actually helpful to remember, actually, all things are under God's God's sovereign control. So that's what providence is. It is the exercise of God's governance of the universe, but that extends to the details of my life. Well, what does the Bible teach us about this? Is this this supported by the Bible? 
the problem is a little bit, it's actually everywhere in the Bible. So um, we could spend a long time looking at it, but I'm just going to highlight a few of the classic verses that I think capture the nuances of this really well. The first one, and maybe the most famous, is in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 50, verse 20, you'll perhaps remember the story of Joseph. He was sold by his brothers into slavery. I mean, terrible experience. Then, as a slave, falsely accused and thrown into prison, uh, even though he had this incredible uh, interpretation of a dream, the person he gave it to forgot about him, which <laughs> not great. Um, eventually, Joseph rises up to prominence in the Egyptian government, and uh, again, through the interpretation of dreams, is able to prevent a famine from causing kind of widespread destruction. Um, but in, this, in, the, in the context of, of Joseph's life, you just see like suffering after suffering after suffering, and you see Joseph struggling with that. You know, it's interesting, he never, he, he, he kind of doesn't go back to look for his brothers, he doesn't go back to look for his family, he stays in Egypt. Eventually they get reconciled, and when Jacob passes, the father passes away, the brothers are worried, and they think, now Joseph has power, and he's going to punish us, he's finally going to He's finally going to get back at us. He must be embittered. And they go to him and they're worried. And Joseph says to them, this remarkable uh, sentence in verse 20, he says, you intended to harm me. So he's saying that was your intention. That was your motive. That's what you wanted to do. And it was wrong. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So do you notice in that, in that line, in that verse, those two intendeds? There's two intentions going on. There's human intention, and human intention is usually sinful. It's, it's wrong, it's selfish. And, and Joseph doesn't say that God's providence cancels that out. It's still wrong. It's, it, it was wrong. Like, what you guys did was wrong. And you did it on purpose, and it's not okay. But God, above and beyond that, intended it to achieve his salvation purposes. Somehow, through all of this, God is saving lives. And that idea that you've got two intentions going on, but God's one overrides human intention, is a crucial aspect in the doctrine of providence. It's not that other people don't have motives or intentions or responsibility or agency, but that God is above and beyond that. Another famous uh, example is in the book of Job. You'll remember a little bit perhaps the story of Job. Um, he is um, actually brought to the attention of Satan by the Lord. Satan comes before God and God says, have you considered my servant Job? He worships me. He fears me. And Satan says, no, he doesn't. He just does it because you give him stuff. And God says, well, then take it away. And Satan says, I'd love to. Goes, and Job experiences incredible loss, the loss of all of his wealth, the death of his children. And it comes kind of unrelentingly upon Job. He hears the news. He hears of this tragic, terrible loss. And he gets up and he tore his robe and he shaved his head. He fell to the ground in worship. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Now that's, that's interesting because we would read the passage and we'd say, no, Satan took it away. Or we'd say, you know, the, 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 the people that came to uh, his farm and, and, and killed his kids, they took it away. And I don't think that's, that's, that's not untrue. That, that is true as well. Satan did have agency. Satan did do that. Uh, the Chaldeans did do that to his children. But Job recognizes that actually God is sovereignly in control. The Lord um, has taken away. And then in verse 22, we're told, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So it's a very difficult thing for us to get our heads around, hey, and our hearts around. What does it mean that the Lord has taken it away? Um, it's not an excuse for evil. It's not saying actually that evil isn't evil. It is evil, and it is wrong, but that actually somehow it is under the sovereign control of God. Proverbs 16.33 is 
another famous one because it reminds us that even seemingly random and insignificant events are under the control of God. Right? 1633, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Even the smallest little things. Um, one of my favorite examples of this in the Bible is the book of Esther. The whole book of Esther hinges on the king being read a certain passage in a history book. <laughs> you know, th that's remarkable. You know, the, the, the um, servant of the king who chooses the passage to read to the king in the middle of the book of Esther, if he'd just chosen another page that didn't include Mordecai's uh, kind of saving of the king and whatever, the whole story would have gone differently. And you think, wow, a moment like that in the middle of the night, king can't sleep, just the page number you pick. Uh, impacts the destiny of the Jewish nation. <laughs> but the Bible would say, of course it's not random. No, nothing is. Nothing is. Then very quickly, Matthew chapter 6, again, this reminds us that providence is meant to bring us some assurance as well. Jesus says, you know, look at the birds of the air. Um, God provides for them. I was thinking about this on the way here. I was like, you know, birds don't have hands. <laughs> it's very hard to eat without your hands. And it's like, there are birds everywhere. <laughs> I mean, they're just, they're all over the place. And God, God feeds them, Jesus says. And then he says, look at the flowers of the field. God clothes them. And he says, God knows what you need. I love that line, hey, God knows what you need. Of course he does. He's your father. Um, don't worry about these things. He'll care for you. So that's a reminder that providence is meant to bring us some assurance. Actually, I'm not alone in the universe. I'm not vulnerable just to the winds of random fate. Actually, God cares about the details of my life and he cares for me. And then finally, a famous one, uh, this is the last one I'll look at with you, is Acts chapter 4. Um, I think it would be fair to say the worst event in history was when Humanity killed God. Hey, God comes to, to love us, to rescue us, to serve us. And what do people do? We kill him. And in Acts chapter 4, the apostles are praying, and they said that, um, you know, Herod and Pontius Pilate, they met together, they conspired against your holy servant Jesus. Um, and yet, all that they did was what God's power and will had decided beforehand should happen and you think if God can take the worst event in history and use it to save the world then God can take the events in your life and my life and somehow bring good out of them and that, that wonderful um, reading from Romans 8 during our time of worship captured that hey that actually nothing can separate us from the love of God and Paul actually says just before that if God did not give us if God did not spare his son, and if God didn't give you the big thing of saving you and rescuing you, how will he not, along with him, give us all things? If God has done that for us, then surely he'll do everything else. And so the doctrine of providence is meant to teach us these things and remind us of these wonderful things. Well, so what? what, what how does this help us? How should we live differently? A couple of things. Firstly, I think the doctrine of providence helps us to come to terms with our past. What I mean is the doctrine of providence helps us to integrate painful events of injustice and suffering and loss and grief and integrate those into a redemptive framework. And this is, Joseph does this really well. You see, one of the challenges of suffering is that it's very difficult for us to confront the pain of what we've experienced, the injustice of it. And so we can go into denial and just go, I can't, I can't go there. I can't think about it. But Joseph is able to say what you intended to do was wrong. So he's able to name it for what it is. It was wrong. But Joseph integrates that event into a redemptive framework. And it's a redemptive framework that doesn't exclude human responsibility. Those brothers are accountable to God. He will, he will hold them accountable to that. 
But it's a framework that recognizes the overarching purposes of God, that he is accomplishing his salvation purposes in the earth. Let me just make one point about this. Providence helps us come to terms with our past, but there's something important we have to do. Believing it is not enough. What we have to do is we have to intentionally lament. We have to go to God and talk to him about our suffering, talk to him about our grief. That's one of the reasons why we find it so powerful to hear a testimony or to read a memoir of someone who's gone through something and has been able to, to integrate that event into a redemptive framework. So sometimes we can use theology as a way of solving our emotional um, difficulties. And theology isn't meant to be used that way. It's meant to say, hey, here's an invitation to come to the Lord and, and to process with him. Now that does bring emotional help, um, but it's, it's, it's a relational process with God. So firstly, it helps us to come to terms with our past. It helps us to trust God patiently in our suffering, right? knowing that actually God is, God is with me in this and God has not abandoned me. The other side of it is it helps us to practice gratitude, humility, and generosity in times of prosperity. Because we realize actually a time of prosperity is not just because I'm super clever and I figured everything out in my life. Actually, it's mainly because of the kindness of God in providing for me. And then lastly, it gives us confidence for the future. We don't know what the future holds for us, hey? We don't know what the rest of the day brings. We don't know what the rest of the week brings. We don't know what the rest of the year brings, but we do know that in the end, our Heavenly Father will bring us home. One of our favorite movies is The Very Exotic Marigold Hotel. I don't know if anyone has seen it, um, but uh, Dev Patel is, is the kind of main protagonist and he's running this hotel and he's kind of constantly behind on everything and especially paying bills. And people are like, you know, how's it going? Where's the money? What's happening with the hotel? And he keeps on saying to them, everything will be okay in the end. If everything's not okay, it's not yet the end. <laughs> and that's the message of providence. Everything will be okay in the end. Everything will be okay in the end. All the sad things will come untrue. If everything's not okay, it's not yet the end. <laughs> but nothing happens to us by chance. Everything comes to us by our Father's hand, and we can trust Him. Amen. Sure. So, so this is this is where we're gonna go now. Um, we're gonna just get set up a little bit here. We're gonna go into a time of Q and A. But to help us to do this Q and A well, I think it's actually helpful to bounce ideas or questions off each other. And so, we're gonna give uh, everyone in the room two minutes. Just turn to the person that's next to you, in front of you or behind you, <laughs> and, uh, and just ask, like, what was, what's the standout thing that you've been drawing from here? We're going to leave this slide up, the, uh, like, how do we make providence practical? Maybe that helps you a little bit. But, but you know, maybe share a thought or a reflection. Uh, maybe say, hey, like, what's, what would be a good question to, to put our Kyle under pressure in? Uh, we've got him for about half an hour. Uh, let's make him squirm a little bit. That's what he's here for. So two minutes, turn to the person next to you. Big insight or big question. Off you go.
Okay, last few seconds. Just try and really nail down that question. Fantastic. Okay, so I hope you've got that question ready. Or that comment or thought. Okay, um, Gat, I just want to draw your attention to Celo. Celo is going around with some paper and a pen. Uh, so that you can actually write down the question. Uh, there are also, I can see there's a, there's a little uh, basket on this side here. Um, so how this will work, if you want to get uh, your question in on the act, uh, how it's going to work is that uh, either now or at any point, you know, Carl might say something, you're like, ooh, that's sparked a thought. Uh, you can write down that, that question, and then there's going to be a couple of ushers who are walking around the room, and the ushers... Uh, are going to be able to take your paper. So just write your question, kind of put it up in the air, and then Celo uh, and a couple of other guys are going to be able to take your question, bring them to me, um, so that we can try and just create as much dialogue as possible. Uh, we've got 30 minutes, well, 40 minutes or so, but um, we, you know, that sounds like a long time, but it's probably going to give us like five or six questions uh, if we're doing them properly. So, um, yeah, write down the questions and then just kind of, Pop up the paper in the air. Guys will be uh, around the room to be able to take it. Um, I've got a couple of questions just to kind of kick us off. So while we're kind of, you know, while you guys are warming up uh, with your questions and the pens, uh, just to kind of help us get started. Um, so Kyle, you, you came to the Big God Conference, but the topic kind of, the scope was quite broad. And you chose Providence. Um, so why do you think this thing is so important for us to understand and to cherish in our hearts? I think one of the big, one of the biggest lies of, of the devil, and I think it's, it, for some reason, finds resonance in our hearts, is that we, we struggle to believe it. Um, so in the New Testament, one of the things the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit persuades us that God really does love us. You know, in Romans 5, Paul says that the love of God is poured out into our hearts by the Spirit. Or in Ephesians 3, Paul says, I pray that you would have power to grasp the love of Christ. And it seems odd. You'd think it would be easy to believe that God loves us. You'd think it would be easy to believe that God is for us. But we actually struggle to believe that. That was actually how Satan got Adam and Eve, hey? Oh, look, God is kind of, he's withholding from you. He enjoys that kind of thing. And we can sometimes believe that. Actually, things, God, God enjoys not helping me. You know, we, we, God, 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 God just forgets about me and he doesn't care about me and he doesn't, he's not really for me. And the doctrine of providence reminds us that this big God is not just big in power, but he is big in love and he's for his children. That's so good. What, what are the, tell, tell us a little bit more. What are, what are those things that make it difficult? You know, give us kind of a broad scope of things. What makes it difficult for us to either trust in God's goodness or his control over our lives? Well, one of the challenges I'm sure you've noticed about having a relationship with God is that he's invisible. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he, he generally doesn't, talk audibly that can happen but it's he talks through his word so that makes it hard for us because we are embodied beings and we're physical and our circumstances are very powerful and that's why it's so meaningful like in a time of worship to say actually regardless of my circumstances i trust god i don't live by sight i live by faith so our lived experience is constantly giving us reasons to say life is hard so how can god be good 
And, and part of the challenge of the Christian life is to say, that is bad. What happened was bad. What happened was wrong. It was unjust. It was unfair. It shouldn't have happened. But although life is bad, God is still good. Ultimately, the best example of God's goodness is the cross of Christ. If God gave me his son, he, he has nothing more precious to give me. You know, and then he gave me his spirit. The, the two things the father loves the most, he's given me. He's, he's got nothing better that he's holding back. You know, he's, he hasn't got some like something else that's more precious than his son and his spirit. Um, but our circumstances keep challenging us to think, how can God be good if life is so tough? And so I think it's often just our lived experience that is, is one of the big challenges because we tend, you know, wrongly, but we all do it, we tend to measure God's faithfulness by to do that. And so it's, it's actually saying, I'm going to trust what he says um, regardless of my circumstances. A little bit like the first song that we sang this morning. Hey, like the, the circumstances don't matter. It's not suppressing my joy. Maybe also our faith in God. Yeah, and I think, I think sometimes maybe um, it's, it's good to lament, you know. So providence doesn't say, like, just be happy. Providence says, no, you, there is a time to weep and there's a time to process and there is... You know, you need to address those injustices and you need to do something about those things. You don't become passive or fatalistic, and this, but it, it means that actually God is with me, God is sovereign over these things, and he's working out his salvation purposes uh, in the middle of it. You've used the word um, both just now and in your talk, lament, um, which is a type of prayer and it's our kind of maybe a part of a response to providence, which I think we'll get into later. But, um, but lamenting, kind of bringing our frustrations and complaints and disappointments about life circumstances and sin and suffering, right? That, that type of prayer uh, is actually found a lot more often than not in the Bible, uh, which is a little bit surprising. But then you just read Psalms and you're like, oh, it's there a lot. Like people struggle a lot. And that's quite helpful because it leads into a couple of questions that the that, that guys are already beginning to, to ask, which I think is probably the one of the biggest and most obvious questions you get when you're thinking around providence, you alluded to it a few times, which is providence can be a little bit hard to stomach. It's a, it can be a little bit like every, God uses everything, right? So, so there's, a, there's an interesting dynamic about God's like using difficult things, redeeming suffering, maybe causing it for good at some times. Help us with that. That's, that's tough to stomach. I thought God was meant to be a good God. It, it is challenging. Um, I think it's helpful just to take the Bible, though, at, at face value. So, for example, in Isaiah 45, one of the things that the Lord says is, I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. And that's tough, you know. Now, that obviously has a context around um, exile and stuff. But the, the, the sovereign control of God is something the Bible just repeatedly talks about, you know, um, it, it, it assumes it, and I think actually intuitively we know that as well, and even this morning, it was, it was amazing, just providence was coming through the, the worship and, and what people were sharing, um, but providence includes what you could call, it's kind of a technical phrase, but concurrent agency. So, so with Job, who, who took things away from Job? Did Satan take away things from Job? Yes. Did the Chaldeans take things away from Job? Yes. But Job says the Lord has taken away. Is that true? Yes. That's very hard for us to understand because essentially what Scripture has is a kind of complex, rich understanding of causality. The supernatural, supernatural evil exists and is real and is a, is a causal factor in suffering. Human sin is a causal factor in suffering. 
natural disasters, but above and beyond all of those things is God's sovereign control. Um, and that is just difficult to reconcile for us. We, there is a mystery in that. Um, and I think that's okay. That one of the challenges sometimes when you're doing theology is to try and solve every mystery. And uh, <laughs> that doesn't always go, out, go so well because you, you end up kind of in, in slightly odd places. If you say God is not in the end in control, you end up, I think, in quite a scary position because what does that mean? <laughs> so then ultimately, is it suffering that's in control? Is it random chance? Is it Satan? Is it my own sin? Um, so in terms of our personal assurance of salvation, one Bible teacher once said, you would lose your salvation if you could. <laughs> Thankfully, God holds on to you, <laughs> right? And that's a wonderful comfort. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't repent of our sins or read our Bibles, or participate in the life of the church. We've got to do stuff, and the Bible is full of warnings for us. Hey, I mean, even later on in Colossians 1, Paul says, you know, you've, you've kind of been reconciled to God if you hold firm to the gospel. <laughs> so the Bible never uses providence to remove our agency or to excuse evil. It's actually meant, I think, often to, to remind us that God is the one, ultimately, who's in control and is that why Job then subscribes ultimate responsibility for his suffering to God? Yeah, I think so. Because it's, it is the Chaldeans, there's a group of people that have actually been the ones who've done this kind of destruction yeah. on the earth. Yeah. We know that Satan is involved, mm. and actually he's asked permission. Mm. But he had to ask permission. Exactly. And, and Luther had this famous line from Job, Satan is God's Satan. Which is quite a, quite a remarkable phrase, hey? But his point was that actually Satan's on a leash. And actually, I mean, the book of Job is just masterful exploring this theme because right at the end of Job, God has this incredible poem where he's talking about behemoth and leviathan. And I think those, I think those are metaphors for supernatural evil where God is saying to Job, you're trying to understand how I govern the universe. You're trying to understand how I can... Um, govern evil and suffering and he uses the example of leviathan as this kind of water beast that no one can tame and all the examples of the different animals are sort of wild animals that people can't control especially leviathan and god is saying actually i control that and i bring my purposes through that which means that there's a big difference between job and god which Job, in the end, eventually, he's like, you know, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And I think part of the challenge with providence is that we sometimes think God is just a bigger version of us. You know, he's like, he's like a slightly more sophisticated version of us. But God is holy, which means that he is, he's in another category to unicable attributes of God. There are some attributes of God that we share, but there are also what people call incommunicable attributes of God that we don't share and which means that God is fundamentally different and we start thinking about causality, you know, the space-time continuum. There's lots of things that are actually very difficult for us to get our heads around. Causality, you're saying like, what is the reason for this? Yeah. Okay. And then there are different reasons. So suffering is difficult because there are different reasons for suffering. And they're suffering. all true. <laughs> and they're all true. So you can't ignore any of them because they all have a contributing yeah. factor to it. But actually, having a big view of God means actually He's over and above all things. Yeah. So there's no power or authority or purpose higher than, than His. Yeah. And He's never in danger of losing the battle. Yeah, so, so that's really important for us. So if you watch like Star Wars, awesome. you know, you've got like the bad guys and the good guys, and then sometimes it looks like the bad guys are going to win. That never happens with God. <laughs> you know, so I think it's in, is it in 2 Thessalonians, Paul says Jesus will come back. And then he'll destroy, um, you know, Satan with the word of his power, with like the breath of his mouth. He's just, you know, and you see, you see this in the miracles of Jesus. Someone's dead, just make them alive. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not hard for him. So it's so important that God is never in danger of losing the battle. Never. <laughs> and that's actually hugely comforting for us. So, so providence is therefore God, like God-making practical him as the highest being on earth. So his power and authority and might 
every way that that's made practical, every event, everything that he does or happens on earth, that's providence, this kind of sovereignty applied or sovereignty made practical. Can I give you a couple of examples from questions that have come up and help us to think through providence in light of these things? Uh, One of them is um, that South Africa is, just as a country, in lots and lots of turmoil at the moment. There are lots of challenges in in our country. And um, it it can often be so easy to give up hope or lose hope because of the enormous challenges that are being faced. Help us apply providence to our country as we're people who are told to have a steadfast hope, yet maybe some of us are feeling a bit jaded. Help us to apply providence. I think it's helpful to remember that the doctrine of providence is not going to guarantee specific outcomes in this life. And what, it's, what, it, what it teaches us is that in the end, in the end, we'll be in God's eternal home. And we need to make every effort, this side of heaven, to love our neighbors, to honor and obey God, um, to be kind, to seek justice, to to make a contribution to society, to do all of that stuff. But our hope is not in the specific outcomes. The, the reality is, you know, in historical perspective, most people's lives are just full of suffering. And, and, then, and then you die, you know. And, and I think that we sometimes forget that, you know. But how many of the, uh, the biblical characters die without those promises that, God gave them coming to fulfillment, you know, and so the the book of Hebrews reminds us of that, actually, these people lived by faith, they lived by faith, and they were looking forward to stuff, and they saw some fulfillments and not others, so providence, I think providence actually helps you keep going when those outcomes are, like, unpredictable and up and down, because if my obedience to God or my faithfulness is tied to positive outcomes, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not going to last for very long. So you God know? is then boxed in by a situation. If this happens, things have gone well. Yeah. But actually, if this situation happens... Yeah. yeah. And that's actually one of the things Job's friends don't have, is they don't have a category for innocent suffering, mm. which is really interesting, which means they don't really understand wow. grace. Because they're saying to Job, the reason things in your life are going wrong is because you've, you must have disobeyed God. Mm. You must have. And Job is saying, I'm not perfect, but I know I didn't do something to deserve this. Mm. And the cross of Christ is the ultimate example of innocent suffering and actually reminds us that in this life, there will be times where we suffer, not because of our sin, but because we live in a broken world, because of the sins of other people, because of our broken bodies, um, all sorts of reasons. And if, if... if I tie my faithfulness to serving God to the political fortunes or the economic fortunes of a particular country, my obedience to God is then actually quite fragile because what if, what if things just get worse? Will I still obey God? Will I still trust Him? And actually, ironically, our country needs people who are immovable in their commitment to God. So, yeah, and, and particularly when things on those outcomes are going worse, <laughs> it's actually saying, I'm going to obey God and love my neighbor no matter what, <laughs> you yeah. know, and it was, the, it was the even if, you know, that we heard in worship, even if, even if this happens, even if this happens. So tomorrow's election and results and whatever policies are enacted by whatever kind of counselor, local, provincial, even national levels. In one sense, there's human agency, people vote. In one sense, there are political parties that are acting as an entity. In one sense, we are in spiritual warfare, so there is an aspect of the supernatural. But ultimately, tomorrow, whatever happens tomorrow, falls under the providence of God. And so there's an ability to be able to trust in his wide guidance, wise guidance of tomorrow. And providence does lead you to action. So one of the great examples, I mean, the book that really does this so well is the book of Esther. And Mordecai says, you know, he's he's encouraging Esther to kind of speak to the king. And he says to her, 
Don't think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. So Mordecai believes that God will save his people. He'll do it. If he doesn't use you, Esther, he will use someone else. God will accomplish his saving purposes. Um, But who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And what he's actually saying to Esther is, you've got an opportunity to make a difference. You've got an opportunity to use where God has put you to do good. And you should do it. <laughs> you know, and that's true for all of us. I should vote. I should, you know, I should, um, I, should, I should do everything to love my neighbor, to be diligent, to, you know, leave things better for others than the way I got them, you know, to, to do all that stuff. Providence never lets you off the hook. Uh, in that sense. Right. Let me throw another difficult situation at you to help us, again, apply this practically to our lives. Um, this person's put it better than I did because I was just going to say COVID. <laughs> right. um, but this person has said, uh, when people go through tough times, like how we have now because of COVID, uh, we can tend to leave the church or leave God. How can we, do, how can we respond differently uh, what can we do to help us remain in him, even in difficult times? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I think it is this practice of lament. It's quite hard to lament. I don't know if you've ever tried it. Um, you've got to say, this thing in my life was really painful. It was really difficult. It was wrong. It, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't have happened. It's what Joseph said to his brothers. You, you intended to harm me. I mean, you know... Like, so you've, that's difficult to confront because it's painful to go back to something difficult. And yet, it's integrating that into the big story, which is God is, God is rescuing the world and he will re- renew creation one day. So I, if I can put my life into that big story and interpret my suffering through that redemptive framework, it helps me see how God could be at work through all of this. And a lot of the time, I think, we may not see that in our lives. Hey, we've, got to, we've got to trust that actually my obedience today, it, it, it honors God, and I've got to trust that he will, he will weave that into his sovereign purposes. Um, so again, part of our problem, and I thought the question did it well, is that we tie our faith to outcomes. We tie our faith to circumstances, and that just is a very, it's a very risky thing to do, because the Bible never does that, and, you know, um, you know, I sometimes think, like, uh, you, you'll hear stories, and you'll read things of Christians in other parts of the world, often in, like, very wealthy parts of America that are just, they're so miserable, and they're complaining, and I think, you know, if you guys aren't happy... <laughs> What chance does the rest of the world have, you know, because like you're living, you know, historically speaking, in the kind of most affluent mm. era in yeah, history, <laughs> and you're, you're still like super upset about stuff. Um, so I think lament is crucial, but one of the things that I just think is actually a wonderful feature of South African culture is like worship in the midst of lament. I'm like trusting God in the midst of lament, praising God. And we did it this morning. And I'm like, it's, it's beautiful. And it doesn't remove all of the challenges and the mystery and the complexity and the need for counseling and the need to go through a healing process. But if you lose your confidence in a big God who's got big love for his children, resolving those things actually is much harder anyways. <laughs> I'm always... Um really challenged and inspired by uh, Nkwazi's mum, who just, for me, is like the representation of devotion to Jesus, no matter what comes her way. And there's a lot of things that have come her way, but just like steadfast, devoted to Jesus, like, you know, come hell or high water, (laughs) I love him with all of my heart. And it's like, it's a constant challenge. It's like, man, one day I want to grow up and be as mature as she is. I'm not there. Right, but that's, that's like an, a really beautiful example for me personally. And then, you know, I hope that many of us have those people in our lives. Like, just like, wow, this person is, 
is helping me to remain steadfast uh, because it's not steadfastness based on circumstances. Let me get a little bit more annoying uh, around COVID. Um, so, so if we apply Genesis 50 verse 20, God in, like you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. So, so the ability of God to use anything and to redeem everything, he's making all things new, gives us a helpful way of understanding, okay, well, God hasn't lost or been detoured. His providence, his plans and purposes are still going forward in COVID. But that means that he has the ability to stop it. And he hasn't. Why not? <laughs> so the other attribute of God that's really important is that God is wise. And his wisdom means he is able to reweave all the threads of our world into this beautiful picture of what he's doing. And we just don't know the big picture and we don't understand how it works. Obviously, the other thing with a lot of like the natural disaster stuff is that you've got human agency kind of <laughs> making things worse a lot of the time. Um, in fact, the story of the Bible is God wanting to bless and help and intervene and people rejecting him. You know, so God has to come up with rules like don't murder others because the, the first brothers, one killed the other. So God's like, okay, I clearly need to say that. Um, <laughs> you know, don't, don't, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. And, then, and so, uh, you know, the challenge with a lot of this stuff is actually our government of the world, I'm speaking of humanity's government of the world, isn't often very righteous, isn't often very wise. God is wise and his timeline is different to our timeline. I think we often want to see it worked out. Like, I want to see how COVID works out for my good. Like, now. now. <laughs> yeah. From the context of eternity, when you're in God's arms, 50 million years from now, you'll think, do you know what? I'm still not quite sure how COVID worked for my good, but here I am in the arms of God. Every day is better than the day before. I think he gave me everything I need to get home. So there's something about his actions, like, like amazing actions we hold on to. He's got us. He's holding us. He's won us salvation we can't lose. He's bringing us into eternity, day after day after day, no time limits. And there's something about his character as well that, that means I don't understand 100%, but I know who he is. And I know what he's like. And I know what his heart is. Like, this is why he does everything that he does. Maybe that helps me a little bit with the mystery of God. Yeah, it does, I think. I think the other thing that helps is understanding the pattern of the Christian life. Um, so the pattern of the Christian life is suffering now, glory later. It's the pattern of the cross. Yeah. You know, so when God comes to earth, is he living it up? No, he has, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The Son of Man is rejected. The Son of Man is despised. When the Apostle Paul is this great apostle, he says, I'm like the scum of the earth. People disrespect me. They dishonor me. They reject me. They think I'm a, you know, he goes to Athens. They think I'm a babbler. <laughs> but Paul says, actually, in my life, you see two things. You see the death of Jesus. In that, you see weakness and suffering. And you see the resurrection of Jesus because you see perseverance. And you see God intervening. And I think that sometimes we, we think that if God loves me, everything must work out now. And that's, not, that's not the promise of the Bible. The promise of the Bible is much better than that. The promise of the Bible is that in 50 million years' time, it will be still working out in your favor. It's just, you know, this next bit, which I know it feels long, but, you know, it's, it's 50 years or 60 years. It, it's it's going to go by quickly. And then you'll be in his arms forever. So there's also a sense in which we submit to his providence. It's his ways, not my ways. God doesn't work for me in, in the way that I have decided. It's best for me. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. I'm submitting slash trusting yeah. in his I think providence. trusting is the right word mm. and obeying. Mm. So Esther is wow. so good at this. I'm going to do this 
and if I perish, I perish. Mm. Now, ironically, what actually happens to Esther is like the opposite happens, and 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 things actually kind of they go well. But actually, but her conviction is, I'm going to trust and obey, and that is usually our highest wisdom. <laughs> I'm going to trust God and I'm going to obey Him when everything else is uncertain. And there's this beautiful line in the Screwtape Letters, I'm not sure if you've ever read it. It's a bit of an odd book in some ways, but it's very meaningful to me personally. And um, it's about the senior devil giving advice to a junior devil about how to throw people off, off like obeying God. So it's kind of a bit, a bit strange in some ways. But the senior devil says to the junior devil, our cause of like throwing people off their faith is never in more danger than when a soul looks around at a universe that has abandoned him and obeys God anyways. And um, it's that kind of steadfast trust. I am going to obey him. I don't care what happens. I'm obeying God. And, and that's often our highest wisdom. That's great. Let me throw a few questions kind of together because um, it leads directly to this. Someone's written uh, James 1 verse 4 says, let steadfastness have its full effect. Uh, and it's in relating to trials and suffering. And uh, the question is, what do you think it looks like to trust God patiently in suffering? Um, it, it, it looks like Knox's mom. It looks like it looks, like, it looks like people saying, this is tough, <laughs> but I'm going to obey God, and I'm going to trust Him, and um, even if she things didn't like that change. answer, Carl. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. A lot of us don't. <laughs> so I think, I think it's just saying, hey, you know, Psalm 73 is great on this, right? Psalm 73 says, I looked at the prosperity of the wicked, and I was envious. And then I went into the presence of God, and I realized his kind of ultimate purposes. And then he says, who, am, who have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. You are my portion and the strength of my heart. So I think in the end, it's like, what, what am I treasuring? What's the most valuable thing to my heart? And if it is God, good news is, suffering cannot, cannot take you away from God. It can't. It's not that powerful. Yeah, so, so if God is the strength of my heart, um, He will be with me in the middle of that. And it's about trusting Him and obeying Him in all the normal ways we do. Keep reading my Bible, keep going to church, keep yeah. confessing my sins, just keep on going. Related to that, someone also asked, uh, can God's providence ever turn us into people who ignore our problems, responsibilities, or pain? Uh, how can we avoid ignoring these things? I would say from my experience of just talking to people who've been suffering a lot is it's, it's not so much that the doctrine of providence um, makes them passive or unwilling to confront stuff. It's, it's, it's probably more the opposite, that if I don't trust that my father is caring for me, it's very difficult to revisit past hurts and pain. Because if it just feels like random chaos that's bringing destruction into my life, why would I want to go over that again? <laughs> but if I, can, if I can take something that was very painful to God and, and say, you're my father, this really hurt me. I, want to, I know you know about it anyways because you're omniscient, but I want to talk to you about it because my heart is sore. And that's a lament. That's a lament. Mm. A type of prayer. Yeah. Bringing yeah. your unfiltered version yeah. to God. Yeah. And the outcome of lament is trust. So I take this to God. This is really painful. I'm not even sure I know how to make sense of it. Mm. I'm just telling you about it. And I'm asking you to help me trust you in it. Mm. And we, no one else can do that for us. We have to do that. Mm. And it's again, it's doing those two things. It's saying life is bad but God is good. And even getting into that room or that place where you're lamenting, like even getting there is an act of I'm believing in providence in God because I'm not lamenting to anyone or any other thing. 
I'm lamenting to God. Yeah. Even if it looks a little raw, or you're like, you're not sure yeah. if I can say that to God. Or yeah. Because people do do kind of lament, but they do it on Facebook or, uh, you know, <laughs> or whatever. And it's not like it's, it doesn't. You know, it's yeah. it just it's the difference between. So in the wilderness, the Israelites grumble. God is really upset with that. But he invites us to lament. Lament is different from grumbling in that the audience is God. It's prayer. And I think the other really helpful thing is that lament doesn't promise that all, like, emotionally you'll just be in a happy place afterwards. So the, the Bible even, you know, sometimes people talk about closure or they talk about the sense that actually I can sort of fully deal with this and it no longer impacts me. I don't think the Bible teaches that. I think the Bible does talk about coming to terms with the past and integrating it like Joseph and others do. But there are some wounds that are so deep that only Jesus' return will heal them. You know, so when he comes back, he's going to wipe the tears off your face because some pain is so profound that it's going to take the renewal of the heavens and the earth to really deal with that. And that's actually quite helpful for us to know because... If I have to walk with the limp for the rest of my life, it doesn't mean I'm not trusting God. It just means that it's like really painful. I do trust Him, but I'm like, you know, I mean, I've, I've spoken to people who will, who've lost a loved one, and they will say, I think about that person every day. And it doesn't mean they're not trusting God. They are trusting God. They're just saying, I think about, you know, that family member like every single day. And and they're sad when they think about it. And that's, that's fine. Like, that's healthy. You miss them because you love them. One day, you'll see them again. And so, just keep going. I, I remember um, never actually um, kind of shared it in a testimony time uh, with Rec Road. But you'll remember uh, in Jubilee, there was a season when I was very sick. Uh, I had to come off staff for a season, and I remember there were certain moments when I would just like lie in my bed in my dorm room, and I honestly like there were moments when I was like, I do I have enough energy in my body for my heart to keep beating? You know, I'm fairly sure I was being melodramatic, but there were moments when I was like, I remember like one point showering and like having to hold myself up in the shower, like I thought I was that's it, that's game over moments, and I remember uh, reading about John Calvin. And um, John Calvin was a, uh, one of the reformers um, many years ago, many centuries ago, and he was very sick uh, a lot, lots of heart problems and other things. And um, his, he just, one line was, you know, all of the mysteries of God are difficult, but it's enough to know that it comes from his hands. Like, that's, like, it's just enough to know it's from his hand. If it's from his hand, I'm okay. If it's coming from anything else and it's outside of his control, I'm not okay. This is a problem. Whether it's sickness, whether it's suffering, whether it's sin, whether if it's just living in a broken world, it's so encouraging to know that we're in his hands and we're caught by him, which is really helpful. I, and, and you've spoken about providence. It seems like actually providence makes us more active and practical. It causes responses from us. So can I, can I ask, and I'm paraphrasing a, a question here. It sounds like the phrase in popular Christian culture, let go and let God, may not be the most helpful for us. Yeah, it sort of depends what people mean by that. Because, um, yeah, we should trust God and we shouldn't try and... Um I was just reading, I'm going through one Samuel in my Bible reading, and, you know, uh, Saul, like Samuel's late that one time, and Saul's, like, freaking out, and he makes a sacrifice he shouldn't make, and he should have, he should have trusted God, actually. I'm going to obey God, no matter what. So, that, that is good, but, yeah, providence never makes you passive, and interestingly, the Act 4 reference, if you read the wider context, they're praying for courage to keep preaching the gospel and to keep going, and so... So they recognize God has ordained these things to happen in advance. Um, you know, Paul will go into a new city and preach the gospel, and then Luke will say, all those that were ordained to eternal life believed. <laughs> you know, so it was like God's kind of sovereign purposes are, are at play there, but it never makes Paul passive. It should never make us passive. Um, and uh, again, like that, that 
Esther chapter 4 is such a good example, where Mordecai says, God is going to save his people. He can use you, or, or he will use someone else. But Mordecai knows God is faithful. He's going to do his thing. Uh, but you've got an incredible opportunity to be a part of that. And Esther takes that opportunity. And, um, and, and that's what God says to each of us today, that actually he's working out his purposes. He'll do that with us or without us. <laughs> but actually he wants to catch you up in what he's doing. He wants to use you as an ambassador, as an agent of reconciliation. He wants to draw you in and send you out. And, and, um, and that's wonderful. So, yeah, so it should never, it, it should never just make us kind of passive. That's great. And just kind of as we draw to a close, the, the definition you gave to us of providence made it seem like it's everywhere and it's in all things because it's from the Lord, right? And so in, in all of our everyday lives, not just in the really tough moments like the extreme sickness or suffering, but in, in the small everyday things, you remember the, provid- uh, the Proverbs 16 verse, right? Even the lots, like the tiniest little details, the providence of God should cause us to both wait on him and trust him, but also be active in him and push into him. Such a helpful little quote I got from um, Scott Hubbard, who says about Paul around, you know, just after the Acts 4 time when Paul comes into the scene, that Paul prayed for open doors. Like, so he prayed, he waited that God would open doors in his life, got a decision to make, right, or, or something going on. Paul prayed and waited, but he also vigorously opened handles he also was waiting for the door to open but he was also trying to open the handle he's actively like is this it lord okay no is this lord let me be active let me not spend five years praying but let me pray and do like this acts on the providence of god whilst we're also waiting on the providence of god yeah and what can also help with that is remembering that we're in community so if you are being super passive one of your friends is going to say that to you and they'll be like you <laughs> need to do something now. So that's really helpful that sometimes it's not just the, the I'm on, in this on my own. It's like, hey, actually, I've got friends around me. I've got church leaders I can chat to. I can get their advice on something. So that's also really helpful because if we're, if we're kind of falling on either side of that, um, our friends can often help us. Mm. And so I wonder maybe a question for not Carl, for you, for us to consider as a, as a church community is what's the, what, what's the response that you need to give to providence right now in your life? Right? What, what's the situation that you need to apply providence of God to? And, and maybe that's praying more. Maybe that's lamenting more. Maybe that's turning to someone and asking for help. Maybe it's turning to the scriptures and saying, God, like this thing is difficult. Where are you in this again? Well, what's going to be your response to a big God in every single situation of, of your life right now? And that's a question maybe to ponder and to think about. So I feel like there's so much from this time that we, you know, we, we actually need more time just to saturate ourselves and meditate on it, think it through. But, but I also think that there's an instinctive reaction. There's a, this is the situation. And I need to work out how to apply providence to it. Maybe can I ask you to pray for us that we would do this and we would draw close to God uh, and then we'll go into our break. Heavenly Father, we are just so amazed that you somehow are able to work out your sovereign and saving purposes through all of the pain and the suffering that we experience in our personal lives at a national level, at a global level. You are somehow able to be in sovereign control of supernatural evil. That is remarkable. Um, And yet, Father, we know that you absolutely love us. You have given us your Son. You have filled us with your Spirit. You've provided us with your Word. You've embedded us into your people. Uh, You've done so much for us, and we want to say that we trust you. We pray that you would help us to Press into you in moments of suffering and doubt and confusion. Lord, help us not to be afraid of lamenting, of opening up our hearts to you. Uh, Thank you that you draw near to the brokenhearted and you save those that are crushed in spirit. And we also pray that you would help us to be your ambassadors to a broken world. Lord, um, thank you so much for this wonderful church. 
thank you for how they are bringing your reconciliation um, to Amanzim Toti, to Durban. Lord, I pray that you would fill them with faith and strength. I pray that you would persuade them that they are loved by you. And I pray that you would help them to share your love with those around them. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's thank Carl again. If you want um, a moment of prayer or a moment to chat with a leader, I want to encourage you. Um, there are going to be some, some leaders at the front who are here and available. We're going to move into uh, a short break now. And um, I believe that there are drinks available. There are some donuts um, for those of us who are feeling a little bit peckish. And then in about 15 to 20 minutes' time, we're going to be uh, coming back in here. And uh, I believe that the choir is going to be leading us in some time of worship. We'll see you back soon.